Welcome to All Write in Sin City, a podcast about writers and writing in the Windsor, Detroit region. Your podcasters today are Irene Moore Davis, author, educator, and local historian, Sarah Jarvis, former bookseller, publishing rep, and literary festival chair, and me, Kim Conklin, Windsor based writer and filmmaker. This live recording took place at the St. Clair Centre for the Arts in Windsor, Ontario on October 20th, 2019. Part of the BookFest Festival du Livre Windsor celebrations, the annual Books and Brunch was given over to publisher Marty Gervais, who, with wife Donna, started Black Moss Press 50 years ago. Peter Horastovic is the MC who introduces Marty and special reading by Elise Gervais and the authors gathered who share stories celebrate the press with poetry. Featured guests include Marty Gervais, John B. Lee, Susan McMaster, Robert Hillis, Marilyn Gear Pilling, Rosemary Sullivan, Bruce Meyer, Lawrence Hutchman, and Marianne Mulhern. So we're going to sit back here and have a little chat first. So Marty, 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 Black Moss Press, 50 years. What comes to mind? <laughs> well, uh, that's a long time. Uh, 1969, um, I wasn't really thinking that this would go on for 50 years. Uh, in 1969, there was not a lot happening in the world. Um, yeah, somebody walked on the moon, I mean, big deal. Uh, um, Sesame Street started. In 1969, uh, Woodstock happened, and for those who are young, we're not talking Ontario Woodstock. Um, Monty Python was happening in 1969, so I mean, none of that, uh, I mean, all of that pales in comparison to trying to start a publishing company. <laughs> um, yeah, looking back over 50 years, um, my, my ambition really was uh, to see writers uh, whom I knew uh, find, a, uh, find a way to get into print. And, uh, and, and back then, the people I was hanging out with, uh, mostly in Toronto, and then I moved to Windsor to start Black Moss, the people I wanted to see published, and they weren't being published back then, were David Donnell, who went on to win the Governor General's Award, uh, Andy Suknaski, who was out west, and, uh, and he won a Governor General's Award. Uh, Ted Plantos, uh, and they named an award after him, and he started a magazine, and we published many of his books. And, uh, and when I was putting together the very first issue of Black Moss Magazine, and I started as a magazine, and it was uh, like volume one, number one, included those individuals, but it also included other people. I, I had the moxie to go ahead and write to people and ask them for poems, and they sent me them. I couldn't believe it. And Miriam Waddington uh, sent, me, uh, sent me some poems. George Bowering sent me poems. Um, eventually, people like uh, American writers Charles Bukowski. Uh, we started getting writers from all over the place, and this, as I say, starting it as a magazine. And we started as a magazine, and I, when I say we, it was uh, my wife Donna and I, uh, we were on a third floor, like an attic apartment on Dougal Avenue. <clears throat> and I remember I had, uh, for a desk, I was using a 
uh, a door that I had bought from Beaver Lumber. And, uh, and I just flipped it over and put it on um, crates and uh, used that. And, uh, and Donna and I were uh, you know, putting these magazines together and stapling them. And, uh, and I used her little Austin Healy Sprite and we would drive it to Toronto and we would go to the village bookstore we go to the bookseller. We would uh, travel all over downtown, you know, basically selling these magazines and getting cash, and then immediately having enough money to take uh, take the car back to Windsor. Um, but the whole point of this was to get these people published and have them published alongside people who were fairly well known. Well, that's cool. That's really great. And uh, and like you said, you did this out of your small apartment. Oh. And uh, this was, and, and what was the, the machinery that you used? Oh, we used a Gestetner. Um, and, uh, you young people know what a Gestetner is? <laughs> <laughs> a mimeograph machine. Uh, and uh, so. Because you like the smell of the ink, right? Exactly. I like the smell of the ink, but, uh, but you know, that was my, that's the very first time. Well, actually, when I got married is when I went into debt. <laughs> I, married, I married Donna. We knew each other for two weeks before we got married and and, uh, and then I remember about a month or so passed and she said, oh, today's the 15th. And I said, okay, so what? And she said, well, I have to make the car payment. And I said, what car payment? And she said, the car that we're driving. And I said, I didn't, I thought the car was yours. And she said, well, it's mine, but I, I owe the bank. And uh, I said, oh my God, I married you and I went $2,000 in debt right away. Uh, but I went further into debt when I, when I went and bought a Gestetner. Mm. And uh, it was costing me $25 a month, uh, which was, when you're, when you're not making anything, uh, that was a lot. Now, Marty, you organized a lot of poetry readings in those days as yeah. well, too, because poetry was kind of like, like sporadic in, in this region, in this community, and you... You came down here from uh, your. You went to university uh, at, uh, at Guelph, right? And then you, then you did uh, your uh, your master's degree here. Yeah, actually, uh, what, what happened was I when I came I came to Windsor in 1968, and Windsor had a very vital, rich poetry scene. And uh, the very first person that I met in that poetry scene, and I came here specifically to meet him, was Eugene McNamara. And he was at the University of Windsor, and he was a, a great mentor to me, and, and, and someone who really supported uh, what I was doing, uh, and really gave me hope. You know, I came down to Windsor with all sorts of ideas, and uh, as I say, the, I made my way over to the university. I didn't, didn't know my way around Windsor in those days, and as I say, he was so gracious and so um, welcoming. And so encouraging, and uh, so I actually spent my first year at university here, and then I moved uh, to Guelph. But when you came back, you started putting readings together. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. That because and this guy comes into town, doesn't know a lot of people, meets a lot of people. All of a sudden, he's producing uh, poetry readings. Yeah, we were doing readings, um, you know, cafes uh, and the Dominion House. Uh, we were setting up readings all over the place and, and bringing in writers from from all over the place as well. Now, if you published well over 600 books, mm -hmm. you and Donna and company, yeah. well over 600 books, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, what was your biggest selling book? Our biggest selling book was um, a book called Scary Poems for Rotten Kids. <laughs> uh, uh, 
I just want to tell you this little quick story about it. Um, Sean O'Higgin is the was the author, and uh, uh, and he was doing this for children, and uh, we were trying to come up with a title, and he had all sorts of crazy, boring titles. It was a book of poems for 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 Halloween, I guess, and uh, and I kept rejecting all the titles, and he was so mad at me. We were crossing a Bloor and Young crossing across the traffic, and he was so mad, and he just screamed at me, what the hell do you want to call this book? Scary poems for rotten kids? Yeah. And I said, yes. <laughs> I like that. Let's do that. And he thought I was kidding, but, uh, and the book absolutely, totally took off. Uh, we sold over 500,000 copies. I remember, I, I, I could only produce a thousand copies initially and and by the time I sold all of those I had orders for others but I didn't have enough money to do it and then I got an order from Texas from a book club and they wanted 70,000 copies and the thing was it was costing me a dollar 25 each to produce that book and they said, in Texas, we'll buy them from you, but we'll buy them from you for, you know, for a dollar fifteen. Yeah. And I said, well, that's not going to work. Um, so I went to Singapore, and I got them done for twenty-five cents a copy. <laughs> and I ordered a hundred thousand, thinking that's more than enough. But it wasn't. By the time that order arrived, another hundred thousand were going out the door. So it was, uh, it was our bestseller. Now. We have a little surprise for you. We have a special guest here. You want to introduce uh, the special yeah. guest? My special guest is my daughter, Elise, and uh, she's going to read a poem from Scary Poems for Rotten Kids. And this was a, a poem that's been, uh, you can actually go on, on the internet and, and hear it as well, but I'd like Elise to give you a sense of what was so special about this book. This poem is called The Day the Mosquitoes Ate Angela Jane. <laughs> I don't know how it would go over today. Angela Jane was a mean little kid. She bit and she spit and she ran and she hid. She yelled at her mother and screamed at her dad. Oh, Angela Jane was awfully bad. She'd go in the garden and eat all the weeds. She pulled up the flowers and stomped on their seeds. She chopped all the trees and poured paint on their roots. She bit all the butterflies and put on her boots and ran through the garden, kicking about, pulling up vegetables, and then she would shout, I'm bad and I'm horrid and I like it that way. <laughs> she yelled that quite loudly one certain fall day when the queen of mosquitoes was trying to sleep. The shouts woke her up and she started to creep up the leaf she'd been sleeping on, looking around to locate the source of that horrible sound. Her eyes fell on Angela, red in the face, sweat pouring off all over the place. The queen of mosquitoes listened and looked. She sharpened her stickler and made sure it was hooked on quite firmly, then buzzed all the rest of her clan. They met in the trees and they started to plan. The queen said, that child is awfully mean. She's full of more blood than I've ever seen. It's certain her blood is nasty and bad, the kind to make any mosquito quite glad. I suggest we get her and 
drink her quite dry. <laughs> that horrible blood will help us to fly and sting with more power than ever before. And then we'll have the strength to go after more. We'll fight all the people all over the world. Mosquitoes shall rule, thanks to that horrid girl. <laughs> the sky soon was darkened by billions of wings. Mosquitoes everywhere sharpening their stings. The sound was so loud that it roared through the land. People below did not understand what was going on, what those bugs were planning to do, that they wanted to conquer the world, even you. The bugs swirled and crowded. They flew towards the yard where Angela Jane was working so hard, pulling tails off cats and pinching their ears. She was laughing so loudly she didn't hear the thunder of bugs descending on her. She just yelled, now pussycat, let's hear you purr. The queen of mosquitoes sat on her nose. She stuck in the stickler and turned on the hose. <laughs> when Angela tried to swat her away, she found that her arms were as heavy as clay. She saw she was covered from toe to her head with big fat mosquitoes all turning red as they sucked out the blood that they thought made them strong. But as Angela shrank, they found they were wrong. As Angela shriveled up and went dry, all the mosquitoes started to die. For Angela's meanness was simply too thick. The nasty and bad in her blood made them sick. So think, my young friends, when you want to be mean, what happened to Angela Jane and the Queen? <laughs> Sad poem. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. Thanks, Lise. Love that. Beautiful. Going over here. So, Marty, we've got a lot of special guests here today, people who you know very, very well. And I wanted to introduce them in, in no specific order, except this is how they came out of the printer, the bios. <laughs> Anyways, first up is uh, John B. Lee. In 2019, John B. Lee received the Dogwood Lifetime Achievement Award from his home county of Norfolk. Uh, where he was also named Poet Laureate for Life in 2014. A recipient of over 100 prestigious uh, national and international awards for his writing, John B. Lee's most recent Black Moss Press books include 2019's Moss That Drink, you can get them over here, right, with our good friends at Biboasis, um, The Tears of uh, Sleeping Birds, and a second selected last year called uh, uh, Beautiful Stupid. His first Black Moss title, The Bad Philosophy of Good Cows, that's a great title, was published in 1989 on the occasion of Black Moss Press's 20th uh, anniversary celebration at Harborfront. John B. Lee lives in a lake house overlooking Long Point Bay in Port Dover where he works as a full-time author. Ladies and gentlemen, John B. Lee. Next up, Susan McMaster. She's from Ottawa. She's published some 30 books, magazines, anthologies, and world, uh, word music recordings. She's the founding editor of Canada's first national feminist magazine, Branching Out, and a former president of the League of Canadian Poets. Her first book with Black Moss was the beautiful uh, Until the Light Bends, came out in 2004, and, Mary, and Marty's been stuck with her ever since, she says. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Susan McMaster. Robert Hillies uh, lives uh, in uh, Nanaimo, BC, so he's come a long way. And uh, in life as well as traveling. <laughs> He's won the Governor General's Award for Poetry for Cantos from a Small Room. I remember that. 
and his second novel, A Gradual Rain, was published by Doubleday Canada. His books have also been shortlisted for the Milton Acorn People's Poetry Prize, W.O. Mitchell, City of Calgary Prize, the Stefan Stevenson Award, and the uh, Howard O'Hagan Award. He has published 17 books of poetry, three works of fiction, and two nonfiction books. His most recent poetry collection, Line and Shimmer, are both published by Black Moss Press. To date, he's published 12 books with Black Moss Press. He's currently working on a book of poems, prose poems, called A Piece of Rag Wrapped Gold. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Hillis. So this next writer is described by uh, J.S. Porter, a sometime reviewer for the Globe and Mail, and has said this. In these intimate story poems, Marilyn Gear Pilling caresses stranger and kin, dog and horse, the living and the dead. Like the rooster, she cracks open the day. She invites readers to love the freckled world, every last blemish and bone of it. In describing her fiction, the Toronto Star has said, Pilling has a poet's gift for unlocking the strangeness beneath the familiar. Her seductive stories reveal the secret flamboyance under the surfaces of our lives. Please welcome Marilyn Gear Pilling. <laughs> Biographer and poet Rosemary Sullivan is the author of 14 books, six of which have been published by Marty. The first book he took on, The Space a Name Makes, won the Lampert Award for the best first book of poetry in Canada. She loves her Black Moss kids' book, Molito, written with her husband, Juan Opitz. Her 1995 biography of Gwendolyn McEwen won the Governor General's Award. Her latest book, Stalin's Daughter, won the Hillary Weston Writers Trust Prize, the BC National Nonfiction Award, the RBC Charles Taylor Prize, and the International Plutarch Best Biography Award. In 2012, she became an officer of the Order of Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, Rosemary Sullivan. Now I asked everybody to give me a short bio because they're writers, and this one wins for the shortest bio, Bruce Meyer. <laughs> and I added to it. Bruce Meyer was the inaugural poet laureate for the city of Barrie and is the author or editor of 64 books. <laughs> That's what he said. But I have to say, like me, he's a raving Toronto Maple Leafs fan and one of the greatest supporters of Black Moss Press and a great supporter of Windsor Writers. Bruce Meyer, ladies and gentlemen. Last but not least, Lawrence Hutchman, who grew up in Toronto, received his PhD from the University of Montreal and has taught at a number of universities. For 23 years, he was a professor of English literature at the Université de Montaigne at the Edmonston campus. Uh, Hutchman has published 10 books of poetry, co-edited at the anthology Coastlines, the Poetry of Atlantic Canada, edited in the Writer's World, Words. His poetry has received numerous grants and awards, including the Alden Nolan Award for Excellence. His poems have been translated into French, Spanish, Dutch, Italian, Polish, Bangla, and Chinese. And last year, he was named Poet Laureate of Emory, North Toronto. And next spring, Black Moss will publish a collaborative book with his beloved Eva, who's here today. And that book is called Fire and Water Love Poems. Ladies and gentlemen, Lawrence Hutchman. So what an impressive array. What a panel we have here to talk about poetry to pick on Marty, to do all kinds of things. And, uh, and uh, what I want to do is uh, I wanted to uh, uh, first uh, uh, call on uh, Susan McMaster, because we had a nice chat, uh, you know, by email, right, uh, to talk about uh, the impact of Black Moss Press on uh, your career. And what we're going to do, I should tell you, we're going to call on uh, each of these uh, poets in due course, 
uh, to read at least one poem for you today from their Black Moss collection. But we want to start off with a chat first. So, so. Okay, well, if I uh, don't write things down, I ramble. So I did you a favor and I wrote this down. I've been thinking about the impact of Black Moss Press on my writing career, and it's been definitive. One example, Marty is the most encouraging and positive of publishers. He'd call me regularly to see what I was working on, a gentle spur. When I said I was putting together a book about my mother's descent into Alzheimer's, he insisted on doing it, so I insisted on getting my mom's approval, which she gave in spades. I read her poems, and she began to comment, amazing, pithy comments. Sometimes I feel like a spent volcano. My health is fine. I'm healthy as a pig in rut. Just let me get a man. Too bad most of them here are old. <laughs> in the end, there were as many comments as poems. But how to put them together? Marty zipped into Ottawa, charmed my mom, mom, took a bunch of gorgeous photos, which graced the book, edited the manuscript mainly by insisting the first poem had to be the one that ended in fuck. It's only the second time I've used that in a poem, and it still embarrasses me. But he was right. And uh, he, he brainstormed with me until we figured out how to match the two voices, not as a restricted dialogue, but as a floating partnership. Then, the amazing Karen Monk made it work on the page, all in the service of the word and the poet. Beautiful. Marty is a marvelous publisher and a dear, dear friend. Thank you. That's I great. Feel lucky. Okay, who else wants to chime in about their experiences and the impact Marty's Talk had that. on their <laughs> I'll, I'll say okay. something. Okay, go ahead, John. Um, the most important thing to me in life is kindness, kindness amongst people, and uh, it's not entirely common in the literary world. There's competition, uh, jealousies, but what I find in the Black Moss family is that we all seem to like one another, and we get along, and we're all happy to celebrate one another, and that comes from... Uh, each of us, but it also is reinforced by Black Moss Press and Marty Gervais. It's like a family in a way. To give you an example of the kindness I experienced, uh, I had told Marty that my mother and father celebrated their wedding uh, honeymoon at the Lee Plaza Hotel, and Marty and I were going across the river to Detroit, something I would not have been doing, except for being published by Black Moss Press, to do a reading over there. And he said, well, let's go a little early, you and I. And we found ourselves at the foot of the Lee Plaza Hotel uh, that Marty showed me. And I took some photographs over there. And there's that kindness. But also, more important uh, to me as a literary type is the family of talent that is uh, appreciated and the respect that Black Moss Press encourages for the audience and the readers of poetry. Uh, Black Moss Press has always kept the faith in poetry 
And that faith is always confirmed by the number of people that turn up for readings uh, in Windsor, which would be the envy of anyone in Toronto. It would be the envy even of Harbourfront. Tell you one quick story. Betsy Struthers was invited to read here in Windsor. She had the venue. She wasn't that familiar with Windsor. She turned up at the venue and she walked inside and there were about 400 people there and she turned around and said to herself, well, this can't be a poetry reading. <laughs> There's far too many people here. <laughs> and I know uh, without equivocation that uh, when, when Black Moss Press puts on a poetry reading in Windsor, that the audience builds and builds and builds because they know they will be receiving uh, an evening that honors the audience. And that's uh, something that I think uh, Black Moss has always encouraged. And the most telling thing about Marty is when he hosts some of these things and he's a wonderful poet himself, he will often say, no, tonight is your night. The light will shine on you. I'm not reading. And that is the kind of generosity that we learn from. That's true. That's true. Well done. Yes, absolutely. Rosemary. The hardest thing when you're starting out as a writer is confidence. How do you believe in yourself as a writer? Uh, I did what a lot of young women uh, of my generation, which is the late 60s generation, did. I married the poet. Who <laughs> then, when I wrote poems, said, mm, not very good. Uh, I didn't want the competition, so I divorced the poet. <laughs> and uh, it was through women like um, P.K. Page, the wonderful South African, uh, Jenny Cousin, they convinced me that even if you felt your poems were kind of ratty little, uh, ragged dogs, you should still love them. And so then I found Marty Gervais. Uh, and Marty was so generous in publishing all the women, all the men, all you had to do was have poems that he felt were good. And I, I have to say that the, he, he gave me a, absolutely crazy woman as my uh, editor, Judith Fitzgerald, <laughs> who is amazing, Judith. Uh, and may she rest in peace, uh, though I'm sure she isn't in peace. <laughs> She's still roaring out somewhere. Uh, and uh, I did that first book called The Space the Name Makes. And out of the 14 books I've published, uh, six of them are uh, with Marty. Um, one time, I can't even remember the year, uh, but uh, Marty came and said, you know, I'm doing a class uh, uh, in, in creative writing and editing at Windsor. Um, give me all your essays that you've ever published, and I'm going to put together with my students an anthology of this, or a collection of, the, of these essays. So I gave them everything I could find. I don't know how many there were, maybe 30, something like that. And I had that amazing experience, which you rarely get, of being able to see yourself as others see you. Because this was a different collection than I would have put together. Beginning with confessions of a biographer, moving through pieces of travel, like seeing uh, the, the Palais Ideal of the Factor Cheval in France, or the Necropolis Cristobal Colon in Cuba, and ending with um, essays uh, about Al Purdy and then about what it meant to be Canadian. So it was, for me, a real, process of discovery, the intimate connection you can have with a press like Black Moss, which you don't get with the big guys, who are always only interested in the bottom line. So thank you, Marty. Good stuff. Uh, well done. Thank you so much, Rosemary, for that. Bruce Meyer, you wanted to 
Um, one of the things that Judith Fitzgerald mentioned in a famous Globe and Mail article about Black Moss Press a number of years ago was that she talked to Al Purdy and Al Purdy said, Marty Gervais is the kindest publisher in Canada. When you have a publishing company, you have to have creative intelligence, you have to have business management. And somebody who's not here today is Brian, is Brian Fox here? No. no. Brian Fox is kind of the unseen business hand behind Black Moss. But there's something else that has to go into it. And Carol, uh, Susan McMaster and I were having dinner last night, we were talking about this. The thing that goes into making a press a success is the vision of the publisher, the creative vision that's able to not just say poetry should be this way, but to see what is best in other people's works and to draw them out. And there's a sense of salvation in that. Um, and as a kind of, you know, I can actually claim that Marty Gervais has saved my life a couple of times. Once when I was living here in Windsor, teaching at the University of Windsor, I took very, very sick with food poisoning, and four <laughs> feet of snow fell on the city. Everything shut down. There wasn't a car running. There was no police. There was no fire engines, no ambulance. And I was dying of dehydration. And I talked to Marty. He says, hey, how's it going? I said, Marty, I'm dying. You know? And uh, he said, what do you mean? I said, oh, I don't know. I can't get out. So he says, well, 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 if you could get out, what would you get? I said, well, probably, you know, some 7-Up and bag potato chips, because those, those are the things that will keep you from dying from a very bad corned beef sandwich. And I, so I, I hung up a few hours later, knock on my door. It's Marty. And Marty in those days was driving this little brown Dodge that, that I think had, had died several times and been resurrected and everything like that. And he arrived at the door, and he hands me these bags and full of 7-Up and potato chips. And I said, oh, thank you. You're a lifesaver. And I said, but wait a sec. How did you get out when nothing else is moving out of there? And this is a very Marty answer. It's only weather. <laughs> and I think that's, 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 the, that's what the spirit publishers have to have. And so it's only weather. There you go. <laughs> Lawrence Hutcher. It's great to be here, Marty, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Black Moss Press. Who would have thought 50 years ago when you were swinging the Gestep machine that you'd be here today with 600 publications and, and these beautiful testimonies to your, your career and your Black Moss Press. We all remember the box of rejection, the little plastic box, since I had one. And uh, I remember that I'd gone to seven or eight presses with my local um, poems, Amory. A little while below that, before that, I remember I wrote in my journal, I've gone through all these presses, I listed them, and my last hope is Black Moss Press. <laughs> and we sometimes feel like that. And I feel that there are certain points in our life, turning points, and meeting Marty Gervais was a turning point for me. I came out of class one day, back to my um, um, computer, opened my email in the very, very early days of email, 
And it was a short email from Marty Gervais saying, I hope I'm not too late, but I'd like to publish your book, Emory. And that was an opening of the door, which allowed me to uh, begin to publish my books, my later books. And in fact, I've now published uh, five books with uh, Black Moss, and I just finished the manuscript at one o'clock yesterday morning um, for Black Moss to publish in the spring. So Marty was great to work with as a publisher. He's the, he's the most, uh, he is the unique publisher in the sense that I had an idea of a book in my mind. And Marty came close to realizing that, uh, that, that book. I remember we had a number of Sunday evening calls. And he said, that could work. We can do it. And so he helped me to map out these books. And sometimes even he uh, defined the book much more clearly than I could at the time. He was such an understanding publisher. Once I said, I can't do it. This is too much going on. And we delay this for a year. And he said, OK. And then, and one time, and it never happened to me before. And it's like an author's dream. We, Marty, talked to Marty on the phone. He said, Lawrence, you have a manuscript lying up lying around. I need one for the spring. <laughs> <laughs> and that resulted in the book, Two Maps of Emory. And I liked how I was able to talk to Marty. Because he is, he understands writers, he is a writer, he's a poet, he's a photographer. He understands um, how we work. And he realizes these incredible books. And they are incredible. You can identify a black moss book. And you can identify black moss, black moss writers. They're almost a school of writers. And if you look at closely how, how we have similar themes, similar visions, and similar aspirations. It's been really such a great treat and honor to work with you, Marty. Uh, thank you for the 50 years, well, at least about 20 years for me, so uh, it's great to be here. Great. Thank you. Marilyn, if we hear from you, you must have a great uh, Marty Jervy memory. I have a great Marty Gervais story. Mm. <laughs> okay. Get your microphone right over here. So, as Peter says, there are uh, at least 12 Marty Gervais. And um, by the way, before I tell this little story, the thing that I admire most about Marty is that no matter what he gets into, and, and as I say, there's many Martys and much that he gets into, whether it's boxing or photography or writing, he brings a whole galaxy of people with him. He opens that world up uh, to kids or teenagers or, you know, adults, and he brings them along. He involves them. I think that's amazing. And my other favorite thing about Marty is he's so much fun. He's still sort of a kid, you know? Part of him is still a kid, and it's just so much fun being with him. So this is, uh, he also, well, here's an example of bringing people with him. He goes to France, and he brings a bunch of his writers with him. 
And so that's where our little story comes from. There are at least 12 Marty Gervais, and one of them is a guy who thinks about sex every seven seconds. <laughs> I learned this when I found myself with a group of Black Moss authors in France at a remote farmhouse in La roche John B. Lee at the wheel, we would careen up and down the hills and around the curves of the narrow roads of Burgundy, Marty in the passenger seat. He was the navigator, and every seven seconds, the talk turned to sex. <laughs> much laughter, much jouissance. It will not be a surprise that some days we got lost. But to be lost, in the cleft of the burgeoning summer breasts of La Bourgogne, where the ichor is not milk, but red wine. And the wine is not just wine, but grand cru, <laughs> is to be not lost, but suckling at the very font of poetry. Picnicked in the wildflowering ditches on bread and cheese and wine. We ate local food and dined on sumptuous French cuisine. We read our poetry in Burgundy and at the famed Shakespeare and Company bookstore in Paris. It was high summer, and in the late afternoons, we drove to a lake near the farm to swim. In a poem, Marty said, I didn't see breast. I didn't fixate on crotches or the slope of an ankle or the nakedness of flies. I saw hips. I saw hips. I saw hips. <laughs> well, I observed the mercurial Marty in France, and I believe that he saw not only hips, he saw tits. He saw tits. He saw <laughs> it's all true. <laughs> the the unauthorized biography of Marty Jervie yeah. is suckling <laughs> at the very font of poetry. I, I feel like after that I feel like I need a shower. But uh, <laughs> Robert Robert Hillies, do you want to suck a little bit too? <laughs> Hard to um, <laughs> I had um, no idea, Robert. Sorry, I had no idea. Um, I like the idea of 12 different Marty Gervais because, to be honest with you, I think there's only one singular Marty Gervais. I think he's the only person that doesn't have a doppelganger, and I think that he's so unique that I couldn't imagine anyone um, there being more than one of him. Um, I published with Marty since the early 90s, and I echo everything that's been said here. The word that comes to my mind, I love John's word of kindness, is loyalty, support, and belief, and encouragement. Those are words that really strike me And when uh, about Marty. And when I knew that this was the 50th anniversary of uh, Black Moss Press. I knew I had to be here no matter where in the world I was. I wanted to be here to celebrate this. 
And um, Marty and I, when we first met, we had, like everyone here explains, has an iPhone before there was email, so we wrote letters. Uh, and when we first met, we had, I had pens in my pocket and he had pens in his pocket and we had glasses and we swore for a while that we were like twin brothers, although <laughs> since we verged in different directions. But um, my fondest memory with Marty is when we would travel around um, southern Ontario doing a reading tour and uh, we laughed a lot. So I echo what people said. And I don't know how it happened, but we ended up, because we both have small heads, that we said that we, this was going to be the small head tour. <laughs> so we went into Toronto and we had t-shirts made up that said the small head tour with all these different cities. And I remember going into a record store and uh, the person working in the record store said, the small heads, is that a band? And Marty said, yes. <laughs> So they asked what kind of music, and this part I made up, but he said Cajun. <laughs> so, um, it's, a bit, it's been a thrill for me to work with Marty over the years, and not only is he multi-talented, obviously an amazing uh, writer and photographer, but he makes his authors believe in themselves, he supports people, uh, a lot of publishers, they publish one book and they think, okay, we've done the Robert Hillis book or whatever, so we're not gonna do your next book. Whereas Marty, it's like, I'm with you for your career. And so many writers uh, keep publishing and keep publishing and some people, I think John B. Lee must have the record because I think he has a book with Black Moss Press every year for as long as I can remember. But that's kind of the, thing that, Mar that makes Marty unique. One, he believes in you. Two, he's incredibly reliable as a publisher. I've had books that were supposed to come out and they didn't come out for two or three years. With Marty, he says they're coming out this date, they come out that date. And uh, he often reaches out to his authors and says, okay, what are you working on now, as Lawrence said. And uh, most publishers don't do that. They wait for people to submit, and then they say, okay, these are the, the 15 books we want to do. Uh, Marty believes in writers. He's a writer himself, a remarkably talented writer. It's no coincidence that he did a book called Conversations with God, right? Where he, uh, he, he had a story, uh, he told me, where he met the A-team, and I think it was in Detroit, behind, and he said, in the in the green room, they were all best friends, and then when they went out, they said, "You bugger, what are you doing?" And so they were like completely different, and um, but they all warmed to Marty. He is an incredible person that connects with everybody he meets. Uh, there's a warmth, there's a kindness, there's a strength in him that is unique. Thank you. Well said. In kind, that's why he was not a good boxer. Right? <laughs> I keep going back to that, but he uh, got a good right, exactly. First time I met uh, Marty Gervais, you're talking about rock bands. Uh, I thought he was a roadie from a rock band, eh? with the long hair, you know, the jeans and everything. He had that sort of hippie look, you know. Doesn't have the look any longer, but he still thinks like a hippie. He's a free spirit, we all know that. We've got a little bit of time left here, and I wanted each of the uh, these marvelous poets 
to read one short poem from one of their Black Moss publications if we can. Uh, so I'm gonna start with Lawrence at the far end, Lawrence. So, so give us your poem, please. Uh, this poem, Reading the Water, is the title, on the title, Reading the Water. And this is Marty's photograph. Beautiful. And I was wondering, how are you gonna, how possibly can you convey the idea about reading the water in, in, in a painting or a work of art? And this is what Marty came up with, and that was a brilliant cover. So here's reading the water. Reading the water. I recollect weekend trips, my father following red and yellow lines on maps to obscure places with aboriginal names. Trips that began on forlorn bridges, rivers that suddenly disappeared into tangled undergrowth, narrowed to open fields and high grasses. He had strategies that I could only imagine as he followed the curves of the river. A soldier on a subversive campaign recalling something no doubt mother had said that drove him away from his family to these hedge-lined fields where the water was black and rushing. He stood in the water, hip waders against the current and waited for the speckled, the brown, the rainbow, moving slowly until he chose the right fly, the appropriate angle, lassoing the line casting it out into an S above the current, tugging at it, playing the waters with his fingers, reading its bubbles as notes on some aqua score, reading the sounds, the currents, the silences, marks on a rippling page. He waited for the change in tension. Timing was all. He could wait there, wait there almost all morning, or so it seemed. And I followed him, continually onward, to catch that fish. Wow. That was beautiful. Thank you, Lawrence. Bruce, one thing I forgot to ask you, and I apologize, because the way this thing evolved, it was, I mean, no one's stuck in the script, including me. You have a, a special publication that's come out in honor of Marty called Pressing Matters. Give us a couple of lines about that before you get to your poem. Buy this book. <laughs> this, 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 is, this is a wonderful book. This, this is a wonderful book. It's, it's available on the Biblio Oasis counter over there. Uh, the, uh, the subject will sign it for you. The author will sign it for you. The people who are in it will sign it for you. It's a story of Black Moss Press, and I started. I looked at the whole idea of how to write this, and. I thought, gee, you know, if I turn this into an academic exercise, it's going to kill the whole spirit of what Black Moss is about. And I thought, okay, what will this, what model can I find for this? So it's modeled after the Bible. Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you want to hear a poem? Yeah, sure, absolutely. <laughs> um, Marty did the cover for this book. This was my selected, uh, the first taste. And I, I asked him, I said, he said, what's the title? And I said, let's go with the first taste. And he said, I like that. And uh, I said, uh, what do you have in the way of taste things, the tasty things? And he basically had these cakes. So, anyway. um, I also want to say thank you to Donna and Elise. 
Um, Donna has been like the, 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 the sort of the graceful muse who's made a lot of Black Moss things happen. You know, she's you know picked up authors at the airport and the train station and everything. She really needs to came to Toronto, she didn't have a job, she came to visit me. I had just started a creative writing program at the UT, and I thought, wow, okay, this is someone who I know will push all the right buttons with authors, because she grew up with authors, and she's grown up around them, and I couldn't have someone say, I don't like your book, you know, like that. So she was the best, 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 I, she was uh, more than an assistant, she was the, she was like, like my, my right hand, and sometimes my left hand. Uh, in the job, so I just wanted to say thank you to Elise. Thank you. And Elise was telling me when my daughter was a little girl, she used to come visit us in the office, and I didn't know she. she Elise just told me the story that she, my daughter, was about three at the time, and she said it's Canada's birthday. Elise said yes, and my daughter says, "How old is Canada?" And Elise said, "Oh, it's 110." And my daughter said. Is it going to die soon? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hope not. Here is a poem from my daughter from, in fact, the first taste, titled Yellow. That night, tired in every aching bone, I had a dream in which I met you. You were standing among the flowers, the cosmos, and black-eyed Susans that grew on the walkway to our door and glowed with questions of childhood a brilliance almost blinding me. You were energy in search of substance, a child whose golden ringlets fell as if strands of a story yet untold. And you said, this is my room. I have painted many rooms for you, a chinoiserie red bath retreat, red as an envelope of lucky cash, a Barbie sunburn pink explosion for when you thought you were a princess and the slate gray teenage funker, the world when the world just needed to adjust. I would paint the chambers of my heart if I thought I could keep you there, but nothing compares to that yellow room. It was not the yellow of spring or sunlight, but a yellow as intense as hope, the yellow of a wish on its way to granting, a yellow that lights the sun with gifts, the small light that is all I offer, the little I could do to give you space. When you find days too dark for light's reply, I shall labor at the walls until they fall to a candle's glow that lights your way. Rosemary, please, thank you. <coughs> the cover of this book, The Bone Ladder, which is also selected, uh, is done by my husband. It's my grandfather, Jeremiah Guthrie, who was cycling champion for Canada in Smith Falls. Uh, and one of the pleasures of working with Black Moss is one has done the covers to my books with Black Moss. Uh, and I also want to say, Marty, I think I'll take you on. My father was provincial boxing champion <laughs> in Quebec. And I know a few moves, okay? All right. I had an aunt called Aunt Mary, and uh, she was a one-room school teacher, and she wrote the family story in longhand, and I said, Aunt Mary, I want to publish that as Canadiana, and she said, ah, oh, Rosemary, the problem with words, with books, is people can read them the way they want to. <laughs> <laughs> Best crit critique I've ever heard about books, True. words. 
Aunt Mary used to warn me about worms. They never stay where you put them. They're loose. Any no good can use them. Like a woman, she tried to keep them safe in the family. Family was her story that added down to me, always fenced with a lesson. Words break loose if you let them. She stored the family photos in a basket, trussed up in her rocker, warty as any gourd. Each night her hands plunged the corridors of blood. I knew she was hooked on the danger. From her, I learned she could go all the way back to wind, uh, how it falls and picks itself up in a field or fog empties a valley till all you see is your hands where the world was. From her I learned there were others pacing inside me. She said they had made me up. I was meant to love them. But it terrified me to think I was lived in by strangers I had never met or knew only by name. They made me alien fiction. In my bones an old woman dies over and over. I dare not look in the room with the blooded axe nor speak to the men who walked out, their tracks in my blood, their lust for edges. I could spend a lifetime digging graves in my head. Oh, yeah. Marilyn, another sex poem to read you. Uh, you know, back to France, we would uh, have these picnic lunches with, of course, the wine of Burgundy. And after we had them, the, the rest would go around and see the local sites, and I would go, I would sleep in a ditch behind the car. So that gave me a poem. <clears throat> after Howard's picnics of red wine, brie, baguettes, the others go to view the local sites, while I doze in the ditch behind the car doze nose to nose with coquelicot, nestle next to thistles. Down here, deep in the Lilliputian life, small rustles, tickles, buzz and hum, the denizens of ditches, used to intrusions. Empty bottles holding ruddy, sweetish glaze, a wine-fuzzed Canadian, n'importe quoi. Ants adjust their route to climb the curving hill I have become. Spiders drop their glinting lines. Two dark blue dragonflies perform on wild lace. This is where the Burgundian sun stores her warmest concentrate. This is where the languorous light sends innuendo. This the only place allowed to go ungroomed. Here, unseen, in the brows and tangle. This is where the mischief can begin. And finally, finally understanding why Marty never invited me to come to uh, France with him. So <laughs> Who's next up? Robert. Um, this is a book of love poems, and I had a very different cover for it, and then Marty suggested this cover, which is, I think is fantastic. He's um, a, a remarkably talented photographer, among many things, and I always love to have his images on covers. Um, this is a book for my wife, Rain, who is from Thailand, and this is a poem called Organic Love. Love is made of soil, clay, wind, rock, 
and bone. The way an apple rounds and ripens to pulp and juice, so love ripens. At an apple orchard, you pick one and offer it to me. I pick another and offer it to you. Love deepens, is round and ripe. Oh, um, I was, I'm tempted to read to you from this book, which is uh, the one about my mom, but you might yourself want to look on page 43 for the poem called Respect, if you want a bit more of her particular kind of humor. Uh, but I, it is a beautiful book with, with his cover. This is the new one, and it is stunning. It's called Haunt, and the picture goes right around. And it does deal with a lot of lovely things, poems of love to my husband, which I had never published before. Somehow I, I was shy to, but I published a bunch in here. And also some grief poems. And I'm going to read you one that is, has some grief in it, but also some, some joy. Uh, it's for my father, my father and mother, both died fairly recently. And I went to see him. We were at a cottage in, in Gatineau and had to drive quite a way. Somewhere to go. Father, the sky is gold and glory as we drive towards your death. Amber swirls, streaks of rose, charcoal and chrome, piled stern but light on the darkening gray of the Madawaska hills. Golden Lake, Killaloo, Barry's Bay. The sun spears silver and sideways through the group of seven woods you loved, rings a jack pine in a rainbow of mist as we hum into the night to the beat of your slowing breaths. Last few words. Combermere, Maynooth, Silent Lake. Nothing clear for days than I love you to the daughter who worries and plans. There's nothing I need or want to me who tries to fix everything. I have one hope left to reach you in time to say, Father, the sky was heaped and golden tonight for you. If there is somewhere to go, this for you waits. And I'd just like to say two things after that. <coughs> One is that I did reach him in time to read him the poem, and he was very proud of my poetry. And uh, uh, Other than Marty, the man in my life who's been most important in that way, and the second thing I discovered after I'd written that poem, a glory has a, a meteorological meaning. You know, when you see something against a, the sky at dusk and the sun is behind it, and it, it sets up circles of color around it, like a rainbow, that's called a glory. So it was literally true that I was seeing the gold of sunset and trees and other things outlined as glories. So, and Marty pulled me to publish that poem among the others in this book.
Last but not least, John D. Lee. Thank you. Uh, what a beautiful suite of poems we've heard this morning. Uh, my theory is that every day is trying to teach you something. And the poem I chose to read today, I've changed my mind because last night uh, Sue was telling me a beautiful and poignant story about sorrow and how deep it goes and how we try to capture it. And she was describing the tear that uh, fell from her mother's eye uh, at the end of her life. And this morning I was sitting with Bruce and I misheard him say, I have a tear in my eye when he actually had said, I have a hair in my eye. <laughs> uh, but I heard the word tear, so I, did, I, I chose to read the title poem of my most recent book, which is mostly inspired by my mother, the beautiful arc of her life that ended tragically uh, over the last 10 years of her life. She suffered from uh, dementia, Alzheimer's. Moths that drink the tears of sleeping birds. My mother's memory hangs on the lip of a word. As though the sound of language were blotting its ink as it breathes and goes backwards black to the blind in a moment blur of night. Like windows scrimmed in dyed linen that is indigo black to the hem adrift on the sash. Like smoke that smudges lantern glass on a wick foreshortened in fuel that burned off past a blue gloaming gone gray, that deep into dusk nocturne with its stilling of song and voices gone loud on the lake, unavoidable sun, unseeable moon, and the misty subsuming of stars. Her mind sees a butterfly, blue-winged on the wall, and she says, I've never seen a blue butterfly, have you? And I tell her there are many, the swallowtail, the common blue morpho, the mission blue, the caner blue, the blue crow, the blue pansy, and more. In Spanish I say, meraposa azul. In French, papillon bleu, speak in this meaningless way to a woman I love and was born to. I weep for the loss without tears, the sob in my voice concealed in sweet words. I've learned there are moths that drink the tears of sleeping birds, that lepidopteran thirst in the rainforest dark of the island Madagascar, while the magpie robins dream of songs that will sing in the dawn. Moths slake a desire they long to solve in the salt wells of morphia. Those moths with no common name, those soft-winged thieves of weeping, stealing the sorrow of night. Ladies and gentlemen, proof positive right here and in this room why poetry matters. It does matter. And speaking of poetry and poetry matters, one last little surprise before we conclude, and I've got a few thank yous afterwards. I want to call upon our newest and most incredible poet laureate, Mary Ann Mulhern, with a special tribute for Marty. Mary Ann Mulhern, ladies and gentlemen. Wonderful to be here this afternoon. Terry Ann Carter, who wrote Day Moon Rising, couldn't be here. So she asked me to read a few haiku from that book. And these uh, were inspired during her visits to Cambodia. After rain, the monk's yellow umbrella points to the sky. 
monks chanting in the temple and beyond. Killing fields, the wind carries a butterfly, bone over bone. In the glass case of skulls, a reflection of my own face. Falling <coughs> in love with the tuk-tuk driver, the spring moon. And I have a poem <coughs> for Marty. In Blood and Bone, 50 Years of Black Moss Press. Alistair MacLeod said, Marty Gervais is the father of Black Moss Press. Today, Marty's child is 50 years old. Over 600 books released from silence. Margaret Atwood, Milton Lighthorn, <coughs> John B. Lee, Bruce Meyer, Susan McMaster, Rosemary <coughs> Sullivan, Marilyn Gearpilling, Robert Hillies, Lawrence Hutchman. Launches and readings in boxing rings, hockey arenas, buses and trains, on factory floors, street corners, words become music, heart, mind and soul long to hear, to feel in blood and bone, the very flesh of life. Black Moss Press, child of Marty Gervais, Al Purdy's choice, <coughs> the nicest publisher in Canada. Thank you very much. That was excellent, that was excellent. Uh, before uh, we thank everybody, Alicia Lab from uh, Black Moss Press. This is incredible Alicia, who keeps uh, Marty on, on, on his schedules. <laughs> I want to fa thank the uh, Bookfest uh, Festival du Livre Committee. Thank you so much. And uh, for their work here. Uh, and again, uh, uh, Bookfest starts again next year, October 15th, right? That's the date. So, so please uh, put that in your calendars now. Uh, I want to thank uh, Colleen Mitchell, the chair, of course. Uh, I want to thank Sarah Jarvis, LAW, and the board of directors. Thank you for all your work. And of course, Alicia Lapp, I said I want to thank her as well, from Black Moss Press, and all the writers over 50 years. Some of you are here, some of them are elsewhere, some of them are gone uh, to the big publishing house in the sky, uh, but to all members of the Black Moss family, it's been really terrific. I'm going to let Marty have a last word, but before I do, before yeah. I do, I am told that, and I didn't check Facebook today, would have told me that. Today's his birthday. Oh. It's Marty's birthday. Hey. Yeah, I look around the room, I feel like um, uh, I'm inspired by all of you. And, you know, something uh, Peter said, poetry matters. And it really does. And um, it's something that I've been doing all my life. When I was in high school, and it was... Uh, when my friends were ready to graduate from uh, grade 12, um, I didn't graduate from grade 12. I uh, left school. My friends were all going off to become teachers or nurses um, or lawyers. And they asked me what I would be doing. And I said, I'm going to Toronto and I'm going to be a writer. 
and they could not in any way imagine what that would be. Where do you go to school to become a writer? And I just said, well, I'm going to go to Toronto, and that's what I'm going to do. And I've stayed with that um, point of view, is to, is to go and make a career of it. And, uh, and I found poetry, and I found poetry really, really matters. And, uh, and I brought poetry into my house. And um, but my children and my wife, you know, keep me pretty humble. <laughs> and, uh, and, and for them, uh, uh, Bruce Meyer mentioned uh, hiring Elise at U of T, working with writers, and Elise was the perfect person, you said. And the reason is, is that, you know, my family grew up with writers in the house all the time. And at one point, I remember uh, W.O. Mitchell, you know, the author of Who Has Seen the Wind, and he ended up coming to live with us. Um, and it was because of my wife's generosity. We were at a, a dinner party, and he was complaining how the chancellor of the University of Windsor had thrown him out <laughs> on the accommodations, and he didn't have anywhere to stay. So my wife said across the table, you know, you could come and stay with us. And I looked at her, I gave her that look like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> and she said, uh, no, no, you can come and stay with us. And I said, uh, Bill, uh, you know, we have children, like little children. And he says, I love children. <laughs> I said, but children get sick. I never get sick. <laughs> so he moved in, and he was there for the fall term. And uh, my kids got to know him, and they loved him. And it's true, he really does love children. And he would sit at the dinner table, and he would do magic tricks for them, and he'd pull cords from behind their ears. And you know, he'd do all of these things. And then I remember after he left, my son Andre, was watching television and saw him uh, on television talking about a book. And he says, Dad, he says, W.O. is on TV and he's written a book. And I said, well, that's what he does. And he says, oh, <laughs> I, I, I thought he was with the circus. <laughs> so, and so many writers have come to my, I was thinking, uh, you know, with Robert, Robert Hillis is, standing, is sitting here and he came, he was sleeping downstairs in one of our bedrooms, and, I, and my son Gabe is sitting over there, and uh, he was about four years old. I sent Gabe downstairs, I said, please go and wake Robert up, and he's not getting up. And uh, so he went downstairs, and Gabe came back upstairs, and I said, well, did you wake him up? He said, I don't know. I said, well, did he say anything? He says, yeah, I did. What did he say? Well, he, he said, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a direct quote. <laughs> I said, is there anything else you have to say? He said, yeah, he was wearing a mask. <laughs> you know, and Robert wears a mask when he goes to sleep. So these are the things you find out. My kids were are never overawed or taken with authors in any way whatsoever. You know, they come to our house, they stay with us, um, they eat with us, and they're just, they're just ordinary people. And I thought it's such a healthy attitude. But at the same time, they get to hear poems. And today, uh, when Elise read uh, the Angela Jane poem from Sean O'Higgin, mm -hmm. you know, Sean was very much a part of our household. Um, he was there all the time. He was a godfather to one of our children. And, uh, and I remember one day, Elise, on her way to school, was going with a neighbor child who, who was one of these kids who thought she knew everything. 
and, uh, and was always one up on everybody. And she said, today we're having a visitor at our class today. And, uh, and Elise said, oh, well, who cares? You know, like, no big deal. And she said, well, it's an author. And Elise said, oh, okay. Well, who's the author? And she said, and this girl said, it's going to be Sean O'Higgins. And Elise said, oh, well, he slept last night at our house. <laughs> no big deal. So I'm with Sean, right? So, but I think writing has become a part of, of you know, my kid's life. I look around the room and I see so many friends. I see so many of the writers I've published and I truly am inspired by that and grateful for all of you for coming out today and celebrating this moment. You know, I never thought about this 50 years ago. Uh, it's just something that I can continue to do. And I, the problem I have is I continue to see really good writing and I continue to be awed by you know, the things that I, that I read. And it brings me back to a memory of grade nine when I first went into high school. And I was, uh, I was really afraid about going into high school. And uh, never much of a, a, a great student. And, uh, and my, uh, my brother warned me, he says, you're gonna be taking you know, three languages. And I said, what languages? Foreign languages and uh, you know, French, Latin, and Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, I didn't know what Shakespeare was, but I found out about the Dark Lady Sonnets really on the first few weeks of school. But when I read those poems and read Twelfth Night by Shakespeare, I was so taken with this. That's when I decided that I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be like that. But I didn't know how. And I didn't know where to take it. And so as I've gone through and, and I get excited about someone's book or someone's, you know, someone has an idea for a book and, and, I, and I, I get excited about it and I start to imagine it and I start to wonder how I can make that book. And that's really the genesis of Black Moss. And that's where I started and that's what I've continued to do. But thank you all you know, for coming and thank all of these authors, uh, I have stories about every one of them. <laughs> and I, I'm so grateful that you could come from all different parts of the country to be here. And uh, uh, they're all good friends. And um, you know, you, you meet these authors, you don't know who they are. You meet them, you read their books, you edit their books, you publish their books, and soon you become friends with them. And so I look around the room and I see friends. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Look for more episodes of All Right in Sin City wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out our website, allrightinsincity.com. For information and announcements of new podcasts, sign up to our email list or follow us on Facebook and Twitter.